0: Clay, I usually like to open up our podcasts by trying to bring in something tangential that we can talk about, bring a little bit of our personal lives into it. So for a constant throb, have you ever thought about shooting a woman?
1: Why the fuck are you saying this to me?
0: <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I don't think we grow, we live in New England. I don't think we have enough of a gun culture where it's something I've thought about is the only reason why I no. have thought about it.
1: No, I don't know if I've, have I ever seriously thought about shooting anybody? <laughs> uh, probably not. <laughs> I,
0: I pr- probably um, like se- maybe. I, I guess it depends on how you define seriously in this context, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Video games, I, mean, I guess. Right? If you thought about have I
1: made like the finger guns, like an angry finger guns at one point, and been like, if I had a gun, it would be real right now. Maybe, but uh, you know, who among us haven't? Yeah,
0: it's it's a tough it's a tough sell. But I think we've all we've all. We've all thought horrible things, but uh, maybe, you know, I was just thinking maybe in a more of a gun culture part of the country, you do think about that Okay, instead of like, you know, we're, we're up here, we're in like the Star Trek Picard where we're fantasizing about running them over with like a Tesla or something. (laughs) They're fantasizing about just going the old,
1: uh, the old fashioned. I don't, I honestly don't think I'm, I really have violent thoughts like that as much. And I I know it sounds like bullshit, but. <clears throat> Maybe I just don't interact with enough people anymore that mm-hmm. I have like a, a kill list. <laughs> <laughs> like to get, even when to get I'm driving, out there, my friend. Yeah, even when there. I'm even when I'm driving, it's like you know, I just acknowledge the piece of shit move you just did and then kind of move on with my life. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um... I I just yeah. I don't. I think in order to develop that sort of intensity, it needs to be someone you see all the time. Like when I was in high school, there were plenty of people that I wanted to drop like an anvil on cuz I yeah. was just sick of them. But uh I just, you know, I work from home, so the only person who I'd like to shoot with the the only thing I'd like to shoot with a gun is my computer most of the right. time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Get your get your controller, get your controller guns in in order. No, it's um I don't think so either. I don't really I don't think I don't think I have violent thoughts. If I do, they're in like a sort of
1: comical sense. There's no like mm-hmm. uh
0: there's nothing serious about it, but
1: I mean, when I go to the gun range, I buy the target that's like a caricature of like an Irishman. Right. (laughs) But uh, aside from that, I don't know if there's anything any deep-seated, internalized uh, racism towards my own people.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I don't don't think so either. So, no, neither of us have thought about shooting anybody, let alone a woman. But maybe we've thought about... um, Just sort of awkward interactions we've had, and maybe we've stewed on that for the rest of our day. So we're going to talk about A Constant Throb. This is the third to last episode of Deadwood. We're going to take a break. We're going to play the music. We're going to come back, and we're going to break it down.
2: You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty.
0: This is a constant throb directed by Mark Tinker, written by W. Earl Brown, who's only the second cast member to get a writing credit. I was going to say, that's... that's uh, Dan Doherty.
1: Dan, yeah. yeah.
0: Dan Doherty. I forget who the first one was. Let me see if I can quickly get through this and figure out who
1: it is. It is... Do you know how they get elevated to that point? Because that, with Milch, it seems kind of uh, like he would take that stuff pretty seriously about letting cast members write
0: things. He did. So it's um, it was apparently Doherty had been working as like an unpaid intern as like a writer's assistant on the side. Uh-huh. Um, so he was putting in the reps, and then he got a reward oh, at the end of it, and. You know, it gives, it, the, the the other one that was written by an actor on the show is Ricky J, wrote Jules' boot is right. made for walking in episode uh, season one. Um, right, but yeah, I mean, although it gives you a sense into what the uh, written by credit means, because in the Deadwood Bible, Dan Dur- uh, or Earl Brown says that. He thinks, he estimates that maybe only seven or eight lines of his made it in unaltered sure, to the show. Sure, yeah. Uh, so a lot of it is just he writes a draft. Milch gave him the idea about what the layout was supposed to be, and he wrote a draft, and then it gets rewritten heavily by Milch at the end. Yeah,
1: I think that's pretty standard for most television. Yeah, for small
0: one, prestige television like this too, like the
1: uh, where you actually have control over things like that. Yeah, yeah. I know The Simpsons, the way The Simpsons work is they kind of, as a group – conceptual or it's i think whoever brings whoever pitches the idea for the episode writes the episode writes the first draft after people kind of, they kind of like pitch it around a little bit and then uh the everybody kind of reads it as a pit- as a room together yes yeah, so they sort of punch it up as a room and then they go back and the same person goes back and and redoes the does the second draft but it's very much like a group group effort
0: yeah yeah that's I'm sure it's the way for a lot of this stuff. But, yeah, that's why the uh, the credits maybe don't mean as much uh, as you would expect. It is pretty much all David Miller. I, I don't think you can have the consistency of language in the show without that rewrite process, yeah. you know? Yeah,
1: I, I would be – it seems so specific that it, it feels like it would take a long time for anybody else to really click into his – style without it feeling like an an impression you know Yes,
0: right yeah exactly yeah maybe it's just rewriting everything to make it sound like it's not an impression he just writes it in his own
1: words it's like that uh that fourth season of community where it all felt like it was like this is what a community episode is right like right guys yep and it just wasn't quite there
0: not the same directed by mark tinker written by w earl brown in this one called the constant throb alma is shot at in the thoroughfare Swearingen leaps down from his balcony to escort her into the gem. Adams guards Sophia at the schoolhouse. Hearst tells Jerry that the elections will not inconvenience him. Jewel brings food for Alma. Stapleton continues to beg Claudia for sexual Congress. Hearst sends Jerry back to Yankin, where he will direct the troops' votes. Reinforcements are called from Cheyenne. Doherty brings Ellsworth back to the camp, slung over his shoulder. Swearingen asks Alma to complete her walk to the bank to, quote, get the fucking Angler fulminated. fulminating, excuse me, Hurst spits in Farnham's face. Hurst's man's Barrett brings a note for Swearingen. Barrett is combative, and Swearingen cuts his throat. Jane tells Joni of her dream about Bill's death. So we're entering the final run here, a constant throb. This is generally, I think, when the show starts to pick up a little bit more of an energy going into the last couple episodes. Uh, That's my memory of it anyway, because it's been kind of a... uh, Meandering season, I guess. I still love it, but I guess I, a lot of reviews call this a meandering season. I feel like meanders as much as all the previous seasons did in a lot sure. of ways. Um, yeah, but yeah, this is a constant throb. I love this episode, um, but I'm curious what you thought about it.
2: We're meant for maybe rethinking your tenure here, huh? maybe two in the aftermath. The shots, author had designed. Mister Ellsworth had been moved to take steps, or Sheriff Bullit would. That would justify a violent answer.
1: The author, being Mr. Hurst,
2: him, or him having made cause with your first husband's family, Pinkertons presiding over the vows, we've wide Bullock to counsel restraint. We've Ellsworth trust up downstairs. Little in the past commends me to your trust. I ask you, accepting the premise that you were bait, not quarry. Complete your walk to the bank. Get that fucking angler fulminating. Tangling is fucking tackling the fucking like. Mr. Sartre. Sorry.
1: I also love this episode. This might be one of my favorites of the season. hmm Uh, it's, it's probably one of the funniest, top to bottom. Um, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's just, everything, everybody's got kind of like a bit of a zip behind what they're doing, and the shooting at Alma is a really interesting way to kick things off, um probably the, probably my favorite scenes with Jewel in the entire series yeah, that's very, arguably
0: <laughs> every step of fucking adventure <laughs> yeah and it,
1: it's <laughs> and it's just, yeah it's just really it's really good it's really funny um it, and it 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 balances that stuff in the way that the show's really good at where it's it can it can be very funny but also it can get pretty serious on on the on a turn on a dime um, Yeah. The only thing uh, that I, knowing that there's only three episodes or two episodes left now at this point before everything goes away, yeah. uh, I can't help but feel like we're just wasting time with Langriche. Yeah. Um, we can, we get, should, is we, this his daughter that showed up? <laughs> and estranged wife or something? I don't give a shit. We can focus. The,
0: the Langriche thing is the weakest part of this episode, I think, by far. And I, I don't... I, I guess I'm glad that you're confused about it. I'm I'm very confused by the the plot. I guess, or, or like I'm I'm confused by it while I'm watching it, and when it's over, I kind of understand what they were going for with it. It's just I'm I'm extremely distracted. That it's like, has this woman been in the camp this entire time? I have like, no idea. Where where did she come from? And and the way that he's talking about the um. The prostitute who's going to join the troop, right, because he boots this woman out so that this other woman can take her spot is the, the basic, like... Oh, is that what happened? That's what's happening,
1: yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't catch that.
2: There's a stout woman the Countess Berman fires and hires for the troop. You will meet her at the theater should you appear and apply. The devout Shaughnessy has a week in advance to your account.
3: Take it back from him. I won't take money from you.
4: Are you not being quite absurd in the self-serving way of your sex? You come here, penniless, a supplicant. For learning? Well, well, well. And to learn must you not live? And how will you do so amidst the thoroughfare's depravities?
3: Let me stay in the (laughs) theatre.
2: At a minimum, for the career to which you aspire, you show the requisite presumption.
1: I thought the woman with the book, the, with the drawings in it, was like his estranged wife. It's someone he's in a romantic relationship
0: with, but we have not okay. seen her to this point. And it, it gets confusing, in my opinion, because you don't see the other person that they're replacing this woman with ever. She's just mentioned in dialogue. So because you don't see her, I think that there's a tendency to confuse... That he's talking about a different person when you think he's talking about this woman the whole
1: time. He's t- he's talking about the girl the the who, the dancer from the previous episode, right?
0: Yeah the uh, the the sort of like um the what are they call gypsy the, kind of yeah dancing. Ca-
1: yes, dancing right exactly yeah, yeah. Yep. and she's not in the episode. I don't think so because right? there's like three women who look exactly like her that are in the episode. So. <laughs> at first, I thought the 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 girl who talks to um Cy was her but that's apparently no no she's, she's not, like i'm from cincinnati it's like okay that's yeah not
0: that's jenna from cincinnati yeah
1: she's a new character too i <clears> wonder yeah. if she's related to john and on and on from C- cincinnati <laughs> um yeah i i was i was kind of and they do that thing that they do on the show so often where it's like we're getting the middle of this story we are not getting the, the build-up to it. That's what um, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think it's particularly confusing in this case because it kind of feels like a story that you have to have seen this character for a little bit before, yeah. b- before you reveal this. So otherwise you end up in this very confused space about like trying to figure out what their relationship is and what he's doing for her. Like So the, the pro- my problem with it is that I actually think outside of its execution... It's it's a very good Langriche story, I think, because mm. it's like his sort of um, you know it, it it carries on this theater troop thing about the all the all the world's indeed a stage, which I talked about, and like how they're all kind of performative, and he he. He's not allowing himself to have like a personal relationship because this like performance is the thing that's taking priority for him. Sure. So it's sure. kind of a sense of like how he can never really be happy because he's always being driven in different directions. I just think execution-wise it's extremely confusing what's going on. And the confusion never the storyline doesn't run long enough where you can get a sense of oh I understand this now until the very end. So while it's happening you're like what the, what the fuck is what is this? Like why is this happening right now?
1: Yeah, when you put it that way, yeah, that that is pretty interesting. Um, I think it would be better if we had, yeah, more time with Langrish to really get to the heart of his um, that element. But yeah, th- this having this woman just show up out of nowhere and then immediately be kicked to the curb yeah. is uh, <clears throat> a little bit difficult to follow. Yeah, yeah, it's not.
0: It's. It's unfortunate. I mean, this is the, the theater troupe. You know, I had mentioned before, and I kind of spoiled it, I spo- I suppose, for you. But it's like this is what the theater troupe does this season. It's these kind mm-hmm. of little minor things. And I...
1: Why does he have to fire the other woman? They they can't... I guess can't there's just, just not add, enough... Add it, someone to their troupe. Well,
0: I guess, I mean, you get a, a little bit of a sense where the women are extremely catty with each other. True, yes. It. So he has to, like, manage it... And that's what I like about the episode that's what I like about that storyline too is that he is dishonest with them at the end because he's saying like can we all just get along when he's the one that's like betraying people at the same time, you know? So he's right. he's putting on this brave face and saying that for the good of the troop everyone should just get along and like you know, just deal with it and turn the other cheek, but he he's acting exactly the opposite of it. So I think there's depth to the story. It's just like it's just kind of cockamanally told where it doesn't it doesn't really fit into anything and it's distracting that you've never seen these characters before
1: yeah um it's so strange that they choose to do this like even the whole episode kind of starts in the middle of a story to a certain extent because it's you know they fire at alma and then stuff is going down and then they just casually mention that seth is not there and he's yeah, he in went some off other of, uh, town it's like oh okay i yeah I, I I keep forgetting that this show does this where it's like you're not necessarily going to be privy to every movement of every character. Sometimes it just starts with them in certain places. Yeah. Which is, again, it's it's not bad. It just takes getting used to. And yet, three seasons in, apparently not used to it yet. <laughs> no, I agree. And I think what happens, the the Langree
0: storyline is saved a lot by Brian Cox, I think, because he's great. And it, like, even, course, yeah. even if you don't understand what's going on, you he's doing the best he can to sell what the emotional like truth to the story is supposed to be. Uh, but yes, Bullock is not around. Um, this one moves. Uh, the reason I I like this one because it it it's what you were saying. It has a um, outside of the Langrish theater Troop storyline. It has a certain energy to it that has not been in the season really to this point. It feels like. Um, it feels like they're trying to wrap things up, right? Like the, the the most obvious way I guess you can bring it up is that this is the episode where they've been wondering what Hearst has been doing the entire season. That's been like a running plot line is that they're never quite sure what the actions are he's taking and why he's doing it. Yeah. And they seem to identify in this one, he's actually acting out of boredom a lot of the time. And Hearst <laughs> himself... um, backs that up because when he has this scene with EB where he's pissed off about what's happening with his man over at Engines, he goes down and he yells and he takes it out on EB mm-hmm. he has a line in there where he he I forget I don't have exactly what he says but it's along the lines of like he's waiting for a, re- a result and he's very impatient about it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Hearst doesn't deal well with impatience and boredom and not being sure of what's going on so he's been stirring the pot and They've been building to this, but it's it's been done in episodes where you never really feel like it's a um, I guess you think that you might not ever get an answer about why Hearst does the things that he does. But in this one, they kind of identify it. And through identifying it, it's the first one where there's this cathartic taking it out on Hearst's man, which is this like the, the swear engine torturing that guy and then killing mm-hmm. him at the end. And so it's one of those cathartic episodes that you feel like you've been building for and it feels like very happy and like relieving when when it's all said and done, but it also has an energy that carries it through all that stuff. And I think that it's like a, it's a very lively episode, I guess, in that way. And it makes you sort of like, you know, you're fist pumping for taking it out on this guy. But at the same time, I think it's going to follow the Deadwood example of all good things have bad outcomes somewhere down the line. So we'll see, see where it goes.
2: How well do you know the other guy? Who would that be? If my man Dowdy killed the captain. We served in the 69th New York. Was that a Mick regiment? Mm -hmm. What were you doing? Cutting throats. I was asking whose flag you were under. The famous cocksucker's brigade. Is that so? Command of the all-whore detachment. Distress you? When my man downed your friend? Let me tell you something, Mr. Swearingen. You don't scare me. And you don't fucking know what happened with the 69th New York. I will tell you this. I didn't like what happened to Joe Turner. Mr. Hurst came to him and said, make it last, even if you gain the upper hand and can kill him. And I think that was halfway selfish of Mr. Hurst, whereas Joe could have killed your man and didn't. And look how it wound up, but that's as much as I feel like saying and that's neither here nor fucking there Fair enough
1: All right, then all right,
2: and I'll tell you this You don't seem halfway like such a halfway bad fucking person Oh, should I tell Mr. Hurst that there's no message? Yes! So, you shooted a fucking woman? Beat that poor newspaper bastard? Scare that Chinese with your fucking horses? How many ribs you think you broke? I feel like I broke two or three ribs. I'm talking about that newspaper man's ribs, you fucking cunt.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh Hurst is uh, getting impatient, right? Because he yeah. always gets what he wants, and he's not getting what he wants this time around. It's it's harder for him to uh uh to to work his way through and and get at the old color, Yep. And so he now he's forced to wait. Um, and so yeah, I, I can see. I, I I was thinking about that as I was watching, and I was like, man, he spends so much time. Just standing out on that porch, just looking at stuff. Yeah,
0: he's like the. Like, what's he? He stares down. Yeah. At the hoos. yeah,
1: like I, I would do that for like, I don't know, <laughs> a cup of coffee, and then go back in. But he seems to be out there all the time. Um, and if you're wait, if you're actively waiting for something, yeah, that can be very frustrating. Yeah. Um, the the interesting thing, you're saying about the uh, the torturing of 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 Hearst's guy.
0: Yeah, let me find out. What that that guy's name is <clears throat> Barrett. Barrett.
1: Yeah. Barrett. Uh, that's a really interesting scene, too, because I, I didn't quite feel that catharsis of, yeah, fuck this guy, um, because they kind of go out of their way to make him appear as though he's kind of a, a sniveling shithead. Yep. And he's not, whereas every other scene he's been in has been sort of like he's the he's the man who's gonna do the dirty work and he's, he's the head the one who's gonna yeah he's yeah the, yeah and they, the way that they play him is always sort of like fairly competent in his evil uh and in his maliciousness and so like it's to to precede that scene by the scene where he uh Hearst yells at him about reading the letter yep and he's kind of stammering and stuttering and he's like well you know uh the last guy delivered something to Al didn't, didn't do very well for that guy mm-hmm. uh just joking though just joking <laughs> and then later then in the scene with Al before he starts getting the shit kicked out of him he's still pretty pretty uh weak for the most part it's it gives a, up the information yeah it's a it's a fascinating way to play that character because yeah you think it would be yeah they're gonna get one but as I'm as I'm watching it, I'm like I don't know this guy seems as much of a just trying to survive as anybody else the way they play him like this (laughs) yeah he's um and i mean maybe that's for the better because it i i don't really know that this this show has never really reveled in in the murder of people as like a something to cheer and so maybe doing that as a way to keep that consistent where it's like yeah this guy sucks and he he deserves to go down but we're gonna make sure you still don't really feel good about it when it happens
0: yeah, I find it cathartic because you do have to remember that this is the guy who attacks Merrick Merrick for no good reason, really, just because right. Merrick published something. Um, he's doing her sturdy work. He's bringing in the Pinkertons. The, the Pinkertons are spoiling to, you know, as they say, he shoots at Alma, not with the intention to kill Alma in this, but they, that they want to draw a reaction from other people who are seen as threats to her. So they want Bullock to react and they want Ellsworth to react to this so they can kill those two and get away with yep. it and so there is a maliciousness to the pinkertons too just because they're like the army for the wealthy and they're the army for Hearst at this point i find it cathartic in that sense and also just the 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 reason i love the the Hearst thing where he makes him read the letter and he sort mm-hmm. of stammers through it and he says you don't read so well I think that's just that's like a great Deadwood Milch thing, which is that he can't read the letter, and the only point of that scene is to fit into the context of Hearst because Hearst is pissed off, so he takes it out on this guy. But what it what it's doing is it's laying the stage for the metaphor that this guy can't read what Swearingen is going to do to him. Like they're they're setting up that oh he, sure he's not particularly he can't read the situation in the same way that he can't read the letter, and mm-hmm. and so I. I love that stuff because it, what feels like a throwaway scene, which is that you're like, why is Hurst yelling at this guy? you like, why does he care about this? Leads to him selling out this Barrett to go over to Swearengen. And the final catharsis of it is that Hearst has had his boot on the neck of the camp for so long that this is the first time that it feels like the tables have really turned against him in a way because he sure. he also doesn't know at the end what happened to Barrett because I, I, it's not clear to me whether he realizes that Barrett was murdered or if he thinks he actually just ran away because he didn't want to deal with right. us anymore. So, right. you know, yeah. Swearingen has turned the tables and he's given Hurst his own version of that map of the X's and the bar and stuff. They're like, figure this out for yourself, you know.
1: Yeah, and it does a good job of setting up the fact that he can't read because when he goes to Al's, Al holds up that sign that says "I'm gonna fucking kill you." He just doesn't even <laughs> does read night. It. <laughs> He yeah, also defended it's, uh, Captain Turner, did you know? That's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I really like that scene <laughs> when he makes him read the letter because he <laughs> he looks down at the letter. And he goes, "Yeah, that's that's, that's a good. good letter." And he's like, read it out loud. <laughs> Prove to me that
0: you can't, you are learned or whatever. He says. Oh, it's, I,
1: well, I mean, it's all there. You've said it all. I mean, <laughs> what else is there to
0: say, George? Yeah. It's a great Hearst episode, too. I like Angry Hearst. I think that he's uh, quite enjoyable. I it, The one time uh, Amy let out an audible, like, oh, when E-B, EB, the toadiest of toadies, gets spit in the face and you actually feel mm-hmm. bad for EB at the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, I, uh they use angry hearst in fits and starts throughout the season and so to see him kind of at that level the whole episode is pretty indicative of of where he is emotionally yeah um because he does tend to when he gets that way he doesn't really always make great decisions no he doesn't right
0: yeah
1: and i love his um for someone who's someone who's claims to be so calculating that's those are the points at which he, when, when he still lashes out kind of emotionally
0: yes yeah and as they say here to maybe not to leave boredom but he, he does lash out to do something just to sort of stir the pot up and keep himself interested mm. um i guess the metaphor is the shark there right you have to keep moving um his scene with jerry kills me i love those scenes yes um, <laughs> he's, are you saying you want to fuck me <laughs> Man, Which is a great callback to Steve the Drunk, who said the same thing to Jerry. Uh, when that's he, right. When he got attacked, oh, did
1: he really? Oh, to Jerry, that's really funny. But yeah, yeah the, the I can't remember that actor's name. Ned Ryerson. I can't remember his name.
5: Tobolowski. Tobolowski. Stephen
1: Tobolowski. His delivery of, of the follow-up is perfect. Where he's like, "I forgot that part of the story. <laughs> I'm sorry." <laughs> are
0: you intending to have homosexual (laughs) congress with me then he says get off your knees because he's like trying to beg forgiveness or whatever and then
1: the the way that he like sidesteps his way through the exposed posts to get out after trying the door that's (laughs) locked man great acting this show is absolutely top to bottom
5: what a world a woman in innocent transit A wayward shot from some watering hole, do you suppose, prompted by a surfeit of spirits? Exuberant punctuations of some sort?
6: Do you believe anything you say? I am hypothesizing. And have you some private hypothesis as to my possible role? In the shooting at Mrs. Ellsworth? In the rising of the sun.
5: I would hypothesize as to the latter possibility, sir, before... Imagining you involved with the oh, first. Come,
6: Jerry, my holdings butt up against hers. I value efficiencies and economies of consolidation. Haven't I reason to nudge her toward a sale?
5: Men of a certain caliber cannot allow fastidious morality to distract them from the exigencies of commerce, can they, Mr. Hurst? And did you heave up your responsibilities upon broad and reconciled shoulders? No. Perhaps then, rather, at this moment, you are Socrates to my Elcibiades, taking it upon yourself to edify me.
6: Are you saying you want to fuck me? What? Well, you keep calling yourself Alcibiades to my Socrates. Are you proposing some sort of a homosexual connection between us? I forgot that
5: part of the story.
0: I like Tobolowski's Jerry performance. I yeah, think he's, he's, really, he's really like, um, he's very Weasley with his words. in Hur- this one uh, has the great quote to him where he's, he's like, do you ever mean anything that you say? Yeah, um, yeah just a, a, the epitome of the government buffoon that hurt, like, no one can stand. He's he's trying to weasel himself into all the deals, but like no one particularly en- enjoys his company at all. I think it's a great performance. I like the scenes between those two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He's a good addition. I'm glad they brought him back.
0: Um, any thoughts about the Hearst plot plotline? It's basically what carries the whole, or the Alma being shot at and stuff like that. Um, I mean, I can give you a quick sense. I, this is probably the most of, eff- well, one of the things I like about this watch through is that I've really grown to really like the Alma and Ellsworth relationship this season. Yeah. And I think that me and Amy were talking about it, just that um, Alma spent the entire season emasculating Ellsworth. And she does so here again in this one. However, this one's kind of unique in that me and Amy at least thought that Alma does the right thing here. And it's kind of a sad situation that Ellsworth just still can't defend her the way that he wants to. Mm. Yeah, um, but Alma does the righteous and the correct thing of showing Hearst that she's not scared and has to walk alone on that walk, and she does. But it comes at the expense of, again, sort of not allowing Ellsworth to do the role that he thinks that he has to do to give himself purpose. Right. So, what did you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I thought that stuff was really great, it, and it's, um, I I thought I thought that Al's whole plan <clears throat> was so weirdly considerate of people that he really there's no reason why he should care about them. i mean obviously it's a larger larger thing but like the idea that it's like go get ellsworth knock him out and tie him up because if he hears what happened he's gonna go off and he's gonna get himself killed which is exactly what hearst wants him to do Yep. and then like it's yeah, he's he's emasculated in the situation, but yes, it's it is for every it, his own good and her own good, um, and I, I, I he, I guess it's it's like partial partial emasculation because he kind of he does agree he eventually be like yeah okay I understand yeah um, but yeah I thought I thought the. Uh, the Alma stuff was really good. I really liked her walk when she completes the walk was cool. I like with, the, I like uh, the,
0: the sh- I like the way they shot that, which is that the Pinkertons and yeah. the, the town people are walking on the sides, opposite sides
1: of the thoroughfare eyeballing each other. <clears throat> yeah. That, that stuff was really cool. I mean, it, it really did ratchet up the tension. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go down. I assumed it wasn't going to start like a all out gunfight or right. anything, but yeah. you, you never know with this show.
0: Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, the I, I like the scene the scene where Alma and Ellsworth are talking and she's explaining what she has to do while Al is up on the balcony, sort of yeah. overhearing it. I, I think the acting in that is really great from everybody involved. Like Swearingen doesn't have any lines. McShane doesn't have any lines, but he's like he's a vital part of that scene to be there in the background. Mm. And, you know, Ellsworth has to deal with it. Alma decides that she has to do what she has to do. It's her moment of um growing up right because she's kind of a childish character um and it's just her her end goal of becoming her own autonomous force that needs to you know do what she needs to do in order to stand up to hearst and to show the the town isn't necessarily going to bend to his will and that he can't push people around the way that he wants to um it's good I enjoy it. I, I think those two are a very good pair, Ellsworth and um, Alma too. I think that their relationship yeah. is a nice, a nice twist on things.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what happens with them for the rest of the season, and if, uh, if they are still together when the movie comes down the pike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they they do they do work really well together, and it is, it is a very, um, it's a bit of a mirror to Seth and Martha. Uh, to To some extent, of of kind of being being in a marriage of convenience, and then trying to figure out whether or not they care about each other and to what extent right. and how that yeah. that um, shows itself, given the personalities of the people involved, it's it's good stuff.
0: Yeah, I guess that's interesting because it's right. It's like neither of their relationships are based on romantic interest in each other. Like right. at least from the start, they're kind of relationships of necessity that have to go. Uh, that has to be undertaken and they are similar in that regard. And I, I think, I think it's interesting that the show, you know, it's a pretty positive um, perspective on relationships, I guess, which is that like the show seems to, the show's belief is that like the relationship, the romantic relationship or like the love can come after the sort of like necessity of it happening. For for uh, like the necessity of the relationship being there in the first place, so mm-hmm. I don't know. It's 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 the opposite of um, Saul and Trixie, I guess, which is just based on pure carnal pleasure. I think, right? Side. Yeah,
1: it's like it's like the playing out of every one of those movies where it's uh, <laughs> where the the villain is going to marry. It's like with the Sheriff of Nottingham marrying. Made Marion, Yep. And then she's like, I don't never love you. And then he's like, you will learn to love me. <laughs> but it's like the positive version of that.
0: That's a very alpha move to say something like that. Um, and as, as Deadwood is always going to have to do, uh, the episode gets its title from the very throwaway scene where Con Stapleton is so horny that he, he wants to break the, <laughs> the door down to get to those, uh, to get to those bosoms or whatever he says. Um,
1: I I was wondering if they were setting up like a spinoff or something, because this is the second time I think, maybe the third, that they've just done a cutaway to like the Greek chorus of prostitutes. Yes, yeah, what they who ta- just are yeah, like yeah. kind of commenting on the the news of the day. Yeah, and this one they're talking about how they they want to
0: talk to Alma, but they don't know if she'll have anything to say to them. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. I do like that they are all kind of. Um, uh impressed and inspired to a certain extent by by what she has done and who, who she is
0: yeah yeah very relative to the time i mean she is like yeah she was born into it and married into it but it is kind of she is an inspiration she doesn't run the bank so she has created something um but yeah she's
1: definitely inspirational to to those women she's like maria mcfly encouraging black people who run for mayor and inventing rock and roll. That's right. Yeah.
0: Just get, just knock out all the things of the fifties uh, and sixties that you have to get out of the white and
1: move on to move on to the next step.
0: I still, th- um, underrated joke is not this episode, but whenever con met that woman, he's talking about how his pants got shrunk at the launch. Yes. <laughs> that is, <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: an underrated. Scene. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> very good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Damn chinks. <jinx>. Um, <laughs> so that storyline is continuing this one
1: that that reminds me of an anchor man where he walks he asks veronica on a date and it she's like you have this uh, massive erection and he's trying to walk back and he's blaming it on the pleats of his pants
0: (laughs) (laughs) they'll do that they'll do that what would you think of uh in this this episode he meets the new prostitutes and he's been uh Fiddling with his wounds, I guess, because Sai is in a, I guess the metaphor there is that he's, he can't let himself be well. He keeps mm-hmm. picking at himself, but yeah, uh, what do you think about Sai
1: at this point? I was, the scene where the doctor is looking at him <clears throat> is the kind of scene where I was trying to decide whether or not that's something that they should have shown him doing previous to the scene, or if it's such a small thing that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. because like again given no context for what's going on he's looking at size wound and telling him to stop picking whatever self-harming yeah he's been he, he
0: reopened the wound somehow by picking at it yeah basically
1: yeah it said but why would you abrate a I yeah know, maybe he's just washing himself i don't know but, yeah right, right um washing himself down with some steel wool <laughs> <laughs> that well, gravel like voice
0: needs some really, uh, some, some harsh. Cleaner. Yeah.
1: But it was the kind of thing where I'm like, I don't know. I feel like another show might throw in a quick moment here or there along the season of him picking at his thing. But yeah. at the, at the, on the other hand, it's like, does it really matter? I mean, you get the gist of it. He's clearly in a fucked up state. And as he's doing that, he's, uh, literally picking at his metaphor. Yeah. So, I mean,
0: does the metaphor become too heavy handed? Like, I, I think it's a combination probably, of it's yeah. not how the show does production. Like they, they right, don't think yeah. about that. But it, I think it on a storytelling level, I think it avoids the problem of Psy picking at his wound the entire season becomes like, Jesus, like lay off the sledgehammer right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. Uh, it's because it's. Yeah, it's a little uh, on the nose or on the navel in this instance.
0: Because they, they did a similar thing with – they don't do it much anymore, I think, because Al's moved on, but Al would constantly itch his chopped-off finger whenever he was right. stressed out about Hearst. And that was – the you right. know, the metaphor there is that the memory of it is irritating him. But um, sigh is not the same. Sai si and the doc are in, interesting to pair each other. I um Is there has someone who has taken a bigger – Screen time dive than Cochrane, in as the no. series has progressed. Yeah,
1: this this season especially, he's he's barely in it.
0: Yeah, he went from I think one of the reviews was saying like I, I think he got nominated for an Emmy for best supporting actor in the first season, which mm-hmm. is probably deserved because he's in it quite a bit. And he's really he got tuberculosis in this season. I think that's the only thing that he does. Right, he gets sick and yeah. otherwise takes. I would care say. Of
1: I mean, I it's obviously not equal screen time, but Woo has taken a huge hit the yeah, last yeah. couple seasons. Um yeah. he's only I think so far he's been in like one episode this season, maybe yeah. two. Yeah. And not not very long either time. Um but yeah, the, the, the Tolliver thing is I'm assuming the bit with the new prostitute is him sort of uh finding a new person to squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. Joni got away, right? Right, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, he's... um, New person to lord over. Yeah, and I mean, I think we've talked about before, but, I mean, Tolliver's development seems to have stalled out at this point, right? Um, yeah. It, it's interesting, and I, and I think we talked about it in the previous episode, but in the context of the show being canceled, it's less concerning, but if the show is ongoing, I think that the show has a real problem understanding what Sai is supposed to do at this point.
1: Mm. I Do you know how... Um, well, I guess it doesn't matter anymore, but did they find themselves tied to actual history to a point that it yes. stopped them from making certain decisions? Like, so for instance, let's say you get to the point, it's like, well, what do we, we got nothing to do with the science? like, well, he lives until 1910. It's like, well, we can't just kill him.
0: Like, yes. A, so yeah. that they did, uh, they mentioned in the Bible that Milch wanted to maintain historical accuracy to a degree. So like he was hindered and, um, certain characters can't die in certain situations. Sure, and
1: that's in Leviticus.
0: They say that exactly. Yeah, and and, and other things like other things kind of have to happen. Like there, there is no season four, right? But we'll mm-hmm. talk about this more as we get to the right before the movie. The idea in the later seasons was that they wanted to end the show with the way that the town of Deadwood was actually destroyed, which was in a flood and a fire. Um, oh, at the same time <laughs> no i think it i think it flooded and then it dried out and it caught on fire after that unfortunately but he wanted to do then both they of built those.
1: it back up and it sank into the swamp again <laughs> it just it fell but off the, the fourth cliff. one the fourth one stayed up <laughs> and they wanted to do that
0: uh but they obviously never got to the season And the yeah. spoilers it doesn't happen in this season but they were constrained that way. Like Milch talks about that. He, he wanted to maintain it to be at least somewhat historically accurate. So he's not allowed to get rid of people that are not allowed to get rid of, um, mm. in that way. Like he stayed true to, um, Reverend Smith, right? Like Reverend right, Smith right. died in the way that they lined it up. Historically was that they just dropped his body in the road. Cause that's how he was found in real life instead of dying mm-hmm. of murder. You know,
1: they don't want to do that thing where it's like, well, it says here, Cy Tolliver went to Wichita and, for a week. And we pause it. What if that week was actually eight months?
0: It was a long, long trip. But at the same time, George Hurst is apparently, in real history, a very benevolent capitalist. Like He was apparently fairly oh, progressive for his time. So it's just one of those things.
6: Mr. Hurst. Have you enjoyed yourself today, Farnham? For reasons I find elusive, the day has quite displeased me. What will help you find a name for your feelings? Shall we cut open your belly for you to wrap your guts around a pole? You seem distraught. I am not! I await an outcome, and the readying for it wearies me. Oh, dear. Have you smelt human flesh on the spit? How would I I know the smell. You have been to and fro in the world. It pleased me to find out. Well, then fine don't you want to wipe that off no
1: you would regret my coming back and finding that you had cleaned your face it's a good thing he wasn't around to write angry letters like kareem abdul jabbar (laughs) listen kid um, did did I tell you the story? Uh, did we did we already go over that about the Kareem thing with Cordy? It sounds about familiar. How, I c- I couldn't tell you the story. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I apologize if I've already said this, but um, one of the in in winning time, one of the things that was was uh, Kareem objected at objected to is a scene where he te- a kid come in, comes and asks him for an autograph and he tells yep. him to fuck off. Yep. And he says, yep. I would never do that, never in a million years. Well, our friend Sean Cordy, who had been on the Star Trek podcast years ago, yes, um, has a story about going to a um, uh, revolution game, New England revolution <laughs> game, and, and he was in a box. Yeah. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in that box. And so his dad said, you should go over and ask him for an autograph. And so he did, and Kareem told him to piss off. <laughs> so- <laughs> selective memory about thine self kareem sean can be a consultant
0: for uh for that hbo show or showtime or whatever was on
1: yeah <laughs> but i guess kareem won that battle because yep. the show got canceled
0: listen kid i'm out there busting my ass every day <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly <laughs> have you have you watched winning time
0: no i had not outside of like a trailer That's- or
1: something. They show the filming of that scene. Oh, do they? Of nice. of, of airplane in like the first episode, and uh, when they call cut, the directors are the actual directors of airplane are Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. Yep, that's pretty fun.
0: That's, that's, a, that's a nice touch. Those guys must be old at this point, right? Do yeah, they, do yeah, they yeah de- They're like In their seventies. Oh, okay. No, no,
1: they're just there. I mean, it's it's like it's a half second. Yeah, shot. yeah, yeah.
0: Well. Sean is the person that that would happen to, so I'm glad that he was <laughs> I know, maybe
1: it's maybe it speaks more to about Sean than it does about Kareem. <laughs> hey,
0: Sean, I mean, yeah, I, I know, I know it's it's only in a perfect movie world that you come up with a perfect comeback, but I mean, Sean should have just said, "My dad says that you're not trying that hard at, at <laughs> the games or them. Um. Anyway, back to this. Is there any plot line that we haven't? In- touched on here uh any we didn't any talk much?
1: about johnny's jack-in-the-box story which i really <laughs> liked <laughs> sometimes i you love johnny yep. yep he's man this show is just so good at giving taking these side characters and giving you one moment in a random episode that just endears them to you for life and i can't remember what it was with johnny but i know there was one and ever since then i'm like johnny's the fucking best
0: <laughs> wasn't when he said if you tell me it wasn't an ass fuck i'll believe you in the previous episode <laughs> it might have been it might have been, been that one yeah, Johnny's um excellent little uh excellent some side character stuff. Everyone everyone has stuff to do. It's one of the nice things about the show. Oh. Maybe to a limited degree is if you're Doc Cochran, but everyone's got
1: something. We didn't talk about uh Joni and um Oh that's right. Jane.
0: I, I yeah, and I feel bad. Maybe the uh, maybe I haven't um I don't know how you feel. I feel maybe I've given short shrift to those characters in our podcast about the show. Um, I don't know if you would agree with that. I, I think the problem is that I like them, but I don't, I don't super emotionally connect with their story in a lot of ways. Um, mostly like we've talked about Joni's thing where it feels like Joni has just kind of been stuck for a long time and she's not, she's not strongly drawn enough in a way that you feel There's no moment where Joni stomps on a Pinkerton's balls, right? Like there's no, there's no like catharsis thing. And Jane, I like Jane and I really like her speech about the dream, her monologue about the dream. But I I just don't, there are tough characters and stories to talk about on the podcast, if that makes sense.
3: Some fucking day. It was a good day only wish some of Hurst's pistoleros had come to test our mettle. Once my derringer was empty, you would have been firing for the both of us. And equal to the task, believe you fucking me. Not that I wouldn't have regretted them children having to witness. Can I tell you something? Okay. Not some stupid fucking thing. Stupid fucking dream I had. Okay. I dreamed last night I was clamoring up a fucking creek bank, which is often required of a drunk. It was dark and I couldn't tell where I was till I cleared the bank and come face to face with Charlie Utter's ugly mug. Now Charlie's as usual on the lookout for Bill. That's as usual too, losing the poker inside the joint where I outside. Where are we, Charlie? And this could be any fucking place the last number of years. And he said, Jane, don't you know, this is the number 10 saloon here in the camp where Bill's gonna fucking get killed soon. Jesus Christ, how do you know, Charlie? asked him, he said, don't you know, he says, at some point we know these fucking things, don't you know the world says its fucking name to us? What the fuck? What the fuck do I have to dream about this for? I say to Charlie, wasn't I miserable enough? Jane fucking Charlie says to me, don't you know this is the night you couldn't look out for that little girl when you was at Cochran's. and swear engine come in and scared you and and you went down to the creek to weep. That's where the fuck you're coming from? And, and don't you know, he says, this is the night you spirit that child from Cochran's into where our stock was outside of camp. And we watched out on that little girl and sung to her and you, with the presence of mind, to continue the fucking round when I was too fucking stupid. And you said, you would roll, roll, roll. And I said, roll, roll, roll your vote. And we had this.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will say that that... Um that monologue was veering a little close to simple Jack territory for me. Where okay. I was like, I like I what she was saying was good, but just like she's doing the whole thing through that drunken Jane thing. Yes. And there's a part of me that's going, like, all right, this, maybe this doesn't hold up if you really let it air out. Gotcha. <laughs> this, limited this style here. Yeah. Limited doses. Um, but yeah, what she was talking about was, was great. Like, and, uh, um, like the callback to what happened with Al was really good, and how that's basically kind of uh, informed everything she's done since then. Yeah, yeah, which is really great. Um, yeah, yeah, just dreaming
0: about that, Bill, dreaming about her happy moment with Charlie and the girl and stuff like that, and you know, just sort of um, yeah, reliving reliving her story essentially with the the. the Sadness of never really being able to get what she wanted. And that's why she keeps repeating the line, and then you kissed me, and then they kiss, and that's the end of the
1: scene. Yeah, I think we've been giving him short shrift just because the show has kind of done that. Yeah. Um, because like like anybody on the show, uh, they kind of get slotted into uh, bench ca- bench players in, in favor of the other stuff that's, that's uh, more exciting. However... We'll say, because I just looked it up, according to the New York Post, uh, Doc Cochran, Joni Stubbs, and Cy Tolliver are all fictional characters. So, they could have killed Sai okay. Cy Tolliver. Sure. But they didn't.
0: Um, yeah. They could
1: have just said to Joni, Joni, why don't you just leave town? <laughs> Why don't you just leave?
0: Yeah, Joni, I mean, that makes sense with Cy. I probably should have remembered that because we've also talked about how... Um, they held it over tolliver over Power's Booth's head that Psy could die from these things ah, uh, between yes. seasons, so yeah, so thank you for refreshing my memory but uh maybe if there's a better name that is not historically fictional uh that you can't do things with them, but I like the <clears throat> the the thing about the booth one is that I like the performance so much, but it's clear that the character doesn't have anywhere to go, really like he's he's just done at that point I think that yeah the same is for. <clears throat> the the thing that Cy has going for him beyond the fact that I love the performance is that Cy has an impact on the town storylines in a way that Joni and Jane don't really. Yes. You know? Uh, yes.
1: I would agree with that. Yeah.
0: So it gives him a little yeah. bit of oomph to his story.
1: <clears throat> I think they're trying to give her a little bit of that agency back though by like, I think last season she was really kind of all over the place and What she was doing, I think last season she was kind of in the position that Langriche and the the, uh, theater troupe are in Mm -hmm. where they're doing what they're doing, but it's really kind of disconnected from everything else that's going on. Like it's it's great for Joni that she's trying to break free from Psy and to start her own place and whatnot. Um, But it's not really connected to anything until uh, Walcott Walcott. Yeah. Walcott. Walcott. Right. Yeah. Until Walcott kills everybody. Right. Um, whereas this season, what she's doing with the kids seems to be, uh, helps the town sort of modernize itself. Um, yep. X, Y, and Z, she's helping out Jane to kind of bring her back to the real world
0: building. Things. So she feels, yeah.
1: yeah, she feels more, And I mean, I guess that's probably part of it too, right? Like I think for her, she kind of needs to hit that bottom before she can um, readjust what she's she's about and and uh, uh, start doing stuff that is um, what's the word I'm looking for here uh, more productive yeah productive
0: yeah I <clears throat> I guess it's just that her her storyline is very um, I don't know if abstract is the right word but it's like it's it's very symbolic or something like there's not a lot of concrete yeah. action tied to it it's just kind it's of, a lot of
1: her sitting around kind of looking distraught yeah looking distraught <laughs> and like
0: you know she, she'll have a small converse, conversation with someone that will inspire her story and it shows you that she's developed and like when Sai comes around she's not scared of Sai anymore the way that she used to be and there's stuff like that but it's it's just not um You know, even in Alma's terms, like, I feel like the strength of Alma's character is the fact that she's unlikable and likable at the same point, but she has these strong relations with other characters on the show, like Ellsworth and Swearingen. Um, Mm -hmm. And the, the Joni and Jane just, they have, they have each other and that's nice and it's good for them, but it's just that it's not as compelling of a story as some of the other ones are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, Apparently also uh Bullock marrying his brother's widow is made up. Yes, that's that's uh I knew that that was made up. Or there's what's the is it made up or there's something the the fact there's no evidence that he had a brother, but he and he and Martha were apparently childhood sweethearts. That's right. Yeah, they were childhood. Uh, so they knew each other
0: for a, a very long
1: time. Right. But maybe I mean maybe <clears throat> they mean they were uh her son's childhood sweethearts. So for the childhood of her son before he died. <laughs> They were sweethearts. <laughs> it's all about the way you interpret the words. <coughs> it is. It's
0: what the meaning of "is" is. Exactly. Uh, anything else about this one? Uh, um, I think that's no, a, those that's are all the storylines.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I. Well, I guess it's. Oh. What- oh. Sorry. The last thing. Sure. Um, I really, really enjoyed watching Seth glitch out like a <laughs> Westworld robot as he. <laughs> It's <laughs> kind of telling him everything that had happened in the day <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it took me it took me a minute to realize what was going on, but like it's a perfect wordless scene where it's like they just cut to him <coughs> and he's like twitching, freaking out, and then you' realize, oh, he's at dinner with Saul and Martha, who probably just told him everything that happened while he was gone, yeah, and it's just excellent, excellent stuff
0: do you um I like the concept of it. I thought it was another scene of the miscasting
1: problem for Bullock. I I did I did think as I was watching it I was like <laughs> he's he's stuck on his Seth Bullock switch is in is in the on position. Yeah. Like it was it it seemed like he was it seemed like a rehearsal or something where he was trying to find the the correct response and so he was running through all of his yeah, his whole uh, library of Seth Bullock expressions. <laughs> um, he's like, but, he looks like, uh, yeah, his boy. he's he's kind of doing like a,
0: a, a low energy version of like um, Will Ferrell's like Harry Carey impersonation, yeah. where he's just
1: like, <laughs> his head is he's shaking. He's like, he's like the early stages of when Roger Rabbit drinks a, a drink of liquor before he's <laughs> his the steam comes out of his ears and he rockets through the roof. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For all the kids listening, Roger Rabbit is a fictional character from a movie called "Who Framed Roger Rabbit" from 1987. Could have killed him. He's fictional. Um.
0: <laughs> yeah i i, I uh, yeah I, I feel bad. I like Olafant, but I just I I really do think that Bullock would have probably maintained a stronger presence on the show if he wasn't um, yeah if he wasn't cast that way. But I'm not even sure it's necessary. You know, it's like. There's what it is. Would you would you say that Swearingen is the main character of the show? Through, oh, yeah, through and through. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sorry, I'm just looking at the quote. You keep calling yourself Al- Alcibiades to my Socrates. Are you proposing some sort of homosexual connection between us? I'd forgotten that part <laughs> of the story. Um What was how come Alma didn't want to eat Jules' food? Just nervous, I think. Didn't yeah. didn't feel well. Yeah. Which plant did she eat from? She ate from them both. (laughs) Uh, Just uh, Trixie making Jewel feel happy. Um, (laughs) And if I... Another great band name is uh, the Cocksuckers Brigade. (laughs) In command of the All Whore Detachment.
1: What was the... um what was said when, when Al like circles the troops in the bar and is it Trixie who walks out by them? Is that the cocksucker brigade line?
0: No, he says it's when he's talking to Bear at the Pinkerton. He's like, "What what regiment did you serve in?" And he says, "I was in the famous oh, right, cocksucker right.
1: brigade." Yeah. Trixie has a good line though when she walks down and walks through the bar when they're all kind of circle. I can't remember what it is though.
0: But. Yeah, it's a, the brain trust of the bar. Okay. Some comments yes, about that. That's right? what it is. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so I guess that's it. It's a constant throb. I guess my just my short summary. Why is that?
1: Why is that so funny when you, when there's a, a a doofus or a couple of doofuses and the thing that you say to them is to refer to them as like rocket scientists <laughs> or brain surgeons?
0: <laughs> just look at these brain cells rubbing together over here. Look at the the things that we've got cooking up. Tom Nuddles in that group too, and Tom Nuddles being competent. Um. Yeah, so as Deadwood wrapping up, I, I like Constant Throb. I think that it's uh, well paced. I, I like all the episodes. Yeah. It's, just, it's one that like it really, it held my attention. I like the catharsis of the the turning of the tables on Hearst. I like Angry Hearst. I like the interaction. I love the Jerry and Hearst scene. I love the Hearst and EB scene. I like the, it has another, um, you know, just, we didn't really talk about it, but it's kind of like all of the. Some of my favorite scenes from the show are, are Swearingen talking to somebody in his office. There's just so many yeah. great scenes of him. In this one, it's him and Barrett talking. Him and Persim and Phil have a great uh, interaction in the first season. It, it, all that stuff. And then it has one of those scenes here, which is the Barrett and Swearingen scene uh, in the office. Um, just good stuff, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is a really good one. I'm I'm glad to see it, the show having episodes like this. Towards the end of the season, because you know, given given <laughs> given how much television you and I've watched, there there is a tendency for these things to just peter out, especially yes. if they're yeah. going into their f- uh, final incarnation. So it's nice to see that they're uh, they're still. You know, throwing heaters this this deep.
0: Yep, yeah, and just to be clear, the um the show was unaware it was being can- it, the show was not canceled at this point yet. So they're sure. uh, they're operating under the idea that uh, things are going to continue in another couple seasons. So, but we only have two episodes left after this one. It's Catbird Seats is our next episode. So that's it. Clay, did you have any final thoughts? We're going to wrap it up here with all the uh, the tag along stuff at the end.
1: Remember when Netflix canceled Glow during the pandemic? Is that the wrestling show? Yeah, yeah. That's bullshit. That was, they were just about to start record. <laughs> they, were start, they were just about to start doing season four, and then they just canceled the whole show. Yep. And it's really unfortunate because that was a great show. They should do a movie. They should do a movie like they did for Deadwood, but for Glow. Right.
0: Just uh, thirty years later, all the actors come back, and it's not quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. We'll. Um. Our plans are: we will do the Deadwood movie. We'll take a little bit of time off uh, to give ourselves. Get ourselves into the mindset of what it was like to have the Deadwood movie come out like 15 years after the show ended <laughs> to, uh, to see if we can forget. We're going things. to
1: we're going to uh, do an episode where we react to 9/11 in real time.
0: <laughs> That's right, we have to go through the Great Recession, the market yeah. has to crash, all that stuff. Uh-huh. That we
1: on. Yeah, we are both going to uh, celebrate that we've each bought houses at the worst possible time <laughs> in our lives.
0: <laughs> It'll bounce back. Just hold on to it, Clay. Don't sell now. Mm-hmm
1: hmm uh but yeah we'll i'm we going to, to the movie. convince you to buy a shorted stock which i'm excited <laughs> about
0: <laughs> michael lewis has a great book about this stuff um we'll do the movie we'll do a couple podcasts before then i think that we'll do probably a western movie we'll probably do the pilot episode for luck the pilot for um john from cincinnati and then the hitman movie that old did right after the show got <laughs> canceled so that'll give us a nice break maybe we'll add one more mm. into that mix
1: you know, it's fun. We've been talking about different uh, Westerns to do. We talked about um, Wild Bill because they Wild actually Bill. shot it on the same sets. Yeah,
0: and it's, it deals with his Deadwood time, his end of his life in Deadwood. Yep.
1: And uh, the Searchers, actually, uh, the co-star of the Searchers, the guy whose name I can't remember, is um, Captain Pike from the original Star Trek. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. He's the half Native American guy that... <laughs> Uh, John Wayne fucking hates and is racist too. The whole movie.
0: <laughs> well, it all comes together, I guess, at a certain point. Excellent. Yeah, we'll check that out too. And if you guys like uh, listening to Deadwood characters in Star Trek, we did the one, the Voyager episode where Doc Cochran was uh, that that character, mm-hmm. that Bajoran character on the mm-hmm. Star Trek Voyager.
1: Probably one of the better episodes of the series. What the hell was that, is that one called? Is Basics. that true? That's true, right? It, his
0: character was fun. I don't think Basics yeah. was one of the best, but we'll, we'll say his character anytime,
1: was fun. anytime there's an episode of Star Trek where it's one person acting their ass off in the brig <laughs> is usually one of the better episodes <laughs> of the series. <laughs> I don't know why that
0: is. I but. want Gerald McRaney to be on Star Trek oh, Voyager yeah. at some point. Yeah. I don't know if that ever happens. You're
1: telling me we can't slap a... 31st century uh, <laughs> Starfleet uniform on him and have him be an admiral or something he on could, Discovery. He'd be a
0: great admiral. He'd be a great admiral on Discovery. I want him to spit in Neelix's face and tell him not to wipe <laughs> it off. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Something Pretty. You can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske dot patreon.com slash the Penske file. And that's the best way to do it. A couple bucks a month, you get extra stuff. There's a whole bunch of podcasts out there. And if the podcast, this one is over, you can still give a couple bucks on Patreon as a just dessert. So thanks very much for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we head out?
1: Uh, check out Rotten Heart Picture Show on Patreon where we're doing video nasties. We just did Last House on the Left, which might have irreparably scarred Amanda. Um,
0: I've never seen that. I listened to your podcast about it. I didn't, re- I didn't realize it
1: was so uh controversial of a movie. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a doozy. Hmm. Um yeah, it's it's very uh tonally very strange. Yeah. Um but uh we're <laughs> it's it really is the reason as I as, as I say on the show, it it feels like last house on the left feels like the movie everyone thinks the video nasties are going to be, whereas most of them are more similar to the one we're doing in November, which is a movie called Evil Speak, which is about Clint Howard at military school who summons the devil using a computer. You sure? In like 1984. <laughs> um, and uh, we just put up, uh, Badass just put up our coverage of the Return of the Joker, Batman Beyond movie. Yep. So check that out. We'll be back. Uh, pretty soon with season three of Batman Beyond. Yeah.
0: So there's a whole bunch of stuff. Support it all patreon.com slash the So that's it for this episode. We are done with a constant throb but the next episode is the penultimate episode called the Catbird Seats. So we'll be back next week with that. Thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll see you then.
4: How you doing Ellsworth? What the fuck did you hit me for? Did you realize that was me?
2: You think i'm asking out of general suspicion
4: all right i'll uh i'll tell you what happened fill you in on the full fucking <clears throat> circumstance now uh mrs ellsworth is completely safe uh, calm down or i will hit you over the fucking head again maybe use some more of them spirits under your goddamn nose what happened well there was some completely no-fucking-damage-done gunfire taken at Miss Ellsworth 4 and F. But, but she, she couldn't be no better. Kill that cocksucker. You get out of my way or I'll kill you fucking first. Fruitless struggle, Ellsworth, and stupid goddamn thinking. Why would they take shots at Ms. Ellsworth 4 and F when they could have just blowed her fucking head off? Damn it. Calm down and think about it. They took shots at her 4 and F so that you would come running, so they could do to you what they could have done to her, but they didn't. And to Bullock, too, maybe. So, do you see how goddamn irresponsible it would have been of me to allow you full fucking conscious movement? Do you see?